0: what's up story geeks thanks for joining us today on the story geeks podcast i'm justin today we're digging deeper into disney's frozen and frozen 2. joining me today are the story geeks co-hosts sandra demas what's up daryl Daryl smith
1: Smith. Uh -uh.
0: and (laughs) natalie guzman
1: hi everyone
0: so thanks for listening in (laughs) The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Most of the time we would be recording this conversation live, which means that we'd be interacting with listeners after we finish up the main portion of the show. However, following our local and federal guidelines, we are not recording in the studio together due to the coronavirus pandemic. So that will not be happening tonight, but we'd still love to interact with you. So you can join the Story Geeks Club on Facebook for free and you can learn more about becoming a VIP at thestorygeeks.com. So let's just dig deeper into the Frozen franchise. So um, I feel like it's a really great uh, opening question of just like, why are we discussing Frozen? It feels a little bit out of our typical discussions. <laughs> I, I I would like to say it falls squarely into fantasy. Um, oh, but, it does. Yo, absolutely. But uh, here at the Story Geeks, we want to dig deeper into the stories that are affecting our culture. And we also want to begin dialogues that help people think critically about themes, characters, and messages that are in some of our favorite shows, movies, comics, and video games. So with the coronavirus keeping us all socially distant the uh, and largely indoors, we thought it would be great to begin a conversation about two movies that you, our listeners, uh, could discuss with your entire family. And for those of you who have Disney+, Plus, which is probably all of you, Uh, you also have access to both of these movies right now. So, um, yeah. So, well, just as background, again, Frozen became the highest grossing animated movie in the world when it was released in 2013 and has only been surpassed by Frozen 2 last year. Um, But aside from box office returns, you can just look at Halloween costumes over the last seven years to see, (laughs) you know, how many kids have been on Elsa and Olaf um, to see that this has really had an impact on our culture. Um, so the first question that I have, and I'll throw it to you, Natalie, uh, first, is why do you think the Frozen franchise connected with people around the world the way it did?
1: You know, I I thought that, too. I lived this craze at work. I would see every other little girl wearing an Elsa or Anna dress, and it just blew me away to see how um, kids and adults reacted to it. And I think it was the first time in a long time that... Disney touched on that fantasy fairy tale type of storytelling and animation. It was it was a bit of a classic throwback to those um classic fairy tales like Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, mm. Cinderella and it just had all of the right elements with a story. It had it had romance, it had a moral to the story, it had magic and awesome music. I, I There was something about that formula. It was a perfect classic Disney formula that I think resonated with audiences and made it how big it is today.
2: Mm. You know, I, I think it boils down to what Elsa's going through. So she has power. She has something about her that is hidden from everyone. And um, it's easy to see why people can kind of relate to this because the universal principle is really anything that we're not allowed to express, particularly if we feel like it's something that's an integral part of our identity, something that's innate. Um, what we end up with is kind of this incomplete person. So we see Elsa's journey and going from being aware that she's different and hiding that and suppressing that and then trying to figure out like how to be a complete person because she's incomplete in this space, either hiding it or um, isolating herself. So Mm -hmm. I think that resonates with a lot of people because regardless of what circle we're in, you know, there are ones that, um, groups that we feel whole and complete in, but we can't be that to everybody. And so, you know, I think it it just resonates with people um, when they start to think about where they can be truly themselves and maybe where there's a fear that they won't be accepted and they can't be themselves. I think Mm. that, I mean, at least for me, like that's kind of how I viewed it. I feel like that resonates with people um, and just feeling like they want to kind of live their truth and, and fully be themselves. And plus you have Adina Menzel, my goodness. I mean, her (laughs) voice is out of control. Um, And I'm one of those people who never got sick of Let It Go. I know parents, especially who had like little, little kids who were super into it. They got tired of it, but I never did. So I can still like listen to the song and get emotional and and really appreciate it. Um, But yeah, I think just overall kind of the universal principle of just trying to fit in and trying to be wholly yourself and and feeling like maybe you can not and what that looks like and what that journey is. Mm.
0: Absolutely. And Daryl, any other thoughts on why Frozen was such a hit?
2: Yeah, I think for me,
3: it's um, it has a, a big universal nature to it. Uh, you know, growing up, <clears throat> I was not a big Disney fan um, of the animated movies because, uh, maybe because I'm a robot, I don't know, but the whole ro- romantic fairy tale thing just didn't connect with me, you know, mm. very strongly. And so a lot of those movies, I had a hard time connecting with and while frozen does have the romance in it it also has so much more it's it has adventure it has fantasy it has mystery and it has a different kind of love it has sacrificial love it has you know siblings looking out for each other yeah um and it does have the romantic love and that's that's cool but um it's got more to it than that and i think another big part of it for me is um Robert and Kristen Anderson Lopez and the Mm -hmm. songs that they wrote just because those songs are so enjoyable, you know, whether you're into, into Disney musicals or not, those songs are fun. Yeah. I I did eventually get sick of let it go, but not, (laughs) not nearly as sick as I am of into the unknown
2: oh yeah i love i love uh singing that and i'm a horrible singer so my family does not love when i sing that (laughs) that's
0: that's definitely one of the songs right now that i start singing when i'm not thinking about it but uh you guys are are hitting on so many uh important things and and, you know this will probably surprise no one but i love these movies um we talked about the academy award-winning music and you know olaf is hilarious Um, but ultimately it's a lot of the the themes and the texture of the movie and the characters and their relationships that you know made me really fall in love with it so i'm excited to talk with you guys about this but um relationships are at the center of frozen Um, what can we learn from how anna elsa uh olaf and the trolls and others approach relationships in these Uh, i'll start with you sandra
2: Oh, goodness, this is such a beautiful um, story, and I love that they have approached it in this way. Like, Daryl, you hit it right on the head about sacrificial love. As a kid, I loved the Disney animated features that were focused on um, not romantic love, but just kind of adventure and mischief, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's what I loved about Frozen is that we're not really focusing on amorous love but we're focusing on the love between two sisters and um, you know I've had a sister and I miss her terribly and um, that is I think part of the reason why the the films resonated so much for me because you see the love between two sisters and you see you see that that Anna's trying to love Elsa even though Elsa like doesn't see it and she doesn't um, receive it Um, but you see her, her willingness to do that. And then we have these trolls talking about, about love and, um, about sacrificing, about being willing to, um, you know, like love to the point of, of thawing a frozen heart. Um, the trolls are, are so wise, you know, and they're like these funky little characters, but they're expressing a type of love that we might immediately think is amorous, but it isn't. And so all throughout this, this story, we see what it, what it means to love and Mm -hmm. truly love um, because it is um, sacrifice. Sacrifice is part of loving. And, um, and again, it isn't just the amorous love, but it's a love between two sisters. It's a love between a snowman and, (laughs) on a like it's just that sacrifice i Mm -hmm. i love and there's that word but i I love that we we see that in multiple characters that they're willing to sacrifice to suffer um to put themselves below someone because of how much they love them Hmm. and that reminds us of something you know (laughs)
0: yeah no we're going to be talking more about this (laughs) um daryl uh What, what are some things that you see that this movie and these characters teach us, uh, about relationships?
3: Yeah. I mean, the sacrificial love thing is a big deal. And I think it's a thread throughout both movies. I think, I think it in this world that they've created, um, thinking of other people and sacrificing for other people seems to sort of be the norm amongst this society Mm. and the people that don't behave that way are the very clear villains. You know um, mm. which lines up really well with the story geeks definition of a hero versus a villain you know mm. being selfless versus selfish mm. um, so I like that and I also like that the, the <clears throat> you know the heroes quote unquote in this story you know also and Anna and everybody else you see their struggle and you see what they go through to get where they need to go but they don't have to like drag them through the mud or send them to rock bottom in order to get them there. You see that happen in a lot of stories where the hero falls from grace really, really far in order to climb back up, Um, which is a great dramatic story. But what you see in Frozen is almost a little bit more true to life. It's just an internal struggle that you have to work your way through Mm -hmm. and put other people first as you do it.
1: Yeah. What what I really liked about the two of them is that Well, I know Disney has been notorious for putting out those romantic fairy tales that always end with that happily ever after, and then it's assumed that everything is perfect after that, which we clearly know in our lives and with real relationships, romantic ones, that's not the case at all. Relationships are a continued piece of work, and they're sacrificial love, too. And I love that they show that develop with uh, Anna and Kristoff, that it shows audiences, especially children, watching these movies that... It's not just love at first sight and happily ever after. It is a continual work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Relationships are work. And you see that contrast at first. In the first one, when Anna thinking she found love when she first meets Hans, Mm -hmm. and then just her gradual development with Kristoff, even leading to him just attempting to propose by, by the end of the second one. Um, I think that was an amazing perspective on romantic love, which hasn't been seen in this medium kind of storytelling uh, yeah. in a very long time, if anything ever. Yeah. I, I just really, I just really enjoyed a much more realistic approach to wh- how much hard work real relationships are, and. What is expected out of them, especially when Kristoff says, "I'm here for you." What do you need? With no questions, yeah. like just what What do you need from me right now? Is that was such an amazing moment, and I'm excited for a whole generation of little boys to grow up seeing that as what is expected out of them to be mm-hmm. in relationships.
0: Yeah, and then he immediately says, "You got it," and does it. I, yes, yeah. yes, I <laughs> love that moment. Um. So one of the things that I loved from the first Frozen movie is the use of doors. Um, Anna mm-hmm. and Elsa both use doors and approach relationships really differently. Elsa, obviously, kind of throughout the movie is closing doors, and that's pretty prominent. But I think it's interesting that Anna is on the other side opening a lot of doors, uh, even has the song Love is an Open Door. Yes. And with Hans, <laughs> uh, opens, like, all the doors in the castle and goes, mm-hmm. you know, running throughout the whole place and up on the roof and dancing all the all night away. And so if we think about the castle as kind of, you know, these girls' hearts, you know, and doors as kind of boundaries, I feel like these two sisters give us two opposite approaches to relationships oh, where, crazy. you know, boundaries yeah. are either too rigid or too lax. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we end up at the end of the first Frozen movie where... They have the townspeople invited into the courtyard, but you know, the castle is preserved for them and more intimate relationships and things like that. And so, I just think, uh, even the use of space, um, uh, is a really interesting kind of visual metaphor for relationships in these movies. So, I think we could dive into this forever, but I'm gonna oh, keep yeah. moving on. So, uh, <laughs> Daryl, this next one's going to you. Um, there are a variety of responses to elsa's powers um her parents hide her and encourage her to conceal don't feel the duke of weselton calls her a monster Wesselton. <laughs> Wesselton. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: and uh anna always seems to accept her sister just as she is uh so what do you guys think anna's elsa's rep- uh elsa's powers represent <laughs> if anything um and uh what can we learn from the various responses to her pow- powers? So we'll start with Daryl.
3: Yeah, I think um, as far as what the powers themselves represent, um, I think for me, I'll set that part aside and let Sandra and Natalie tackle that one. But what, I'm, what I love about it is the responses to it and um, the idea that people are afraid of what they don't understand. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. but the most intriguing part of it to me is actually Elsa's response to it herself because on the surface it would seem like she's hiding because you know she's afraid of what's inside of her or she feels shame or whatever that may be but I think when you look close at it the reason she's hiding and trying to keep it under control is because she loves Anna and because she accidentally hurt Anna when she was a little kid so i think it really is an act of love on her part because she doesn't know what's going to happen if everybody knows about her and she doesn't even know if she can control what's inside of her so i feel like it is a potentially misguided but uh, an act of love for her to try and conceal it which is i think one of the reasons that the first movie resonates so well where maybe the second one doesn't because that's you know the secret's out and you don't have that tension anymore um but yeah i think that's what's fascinating and then i also think um as far as anna accepting it you know she just wants to be close to her sister and she's willing to accept anything in order to make that happen but i also think there's even though her memory was erased i think there's some little glimmer in her that knows that that else is not really dangerous and she sort of has the personal experience to show that even though she doesn't like remember it at the top of her mind, you know? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So the, it always fascinated me how her parents responded to it. And I know that the way they were responding to her powers were, it was an act of love. They wanted to protect her. They wanted to protect her from fear. And it, I, I see her powers, I translate them to the real life as people who are different and so afraid to show who they really are, that that's what they do. They conceal and don't feel. And I I could just go into such a wormhole of it, like, analyzing this into different aspects of our real life. Um, And I remember when this film came out, talking to so many of my peers who were um on different autistic spectrums or were lgbtq and how they out of love were you know kind of fit forced to fit a norm by their parents because they were afraid of the public response to them being different and um i could tell that was out of love but then i also love anna's approach to her sister of like i don't care about any of that just let me in and let me be there for you no matter what and i always appreciate how almost unshocked she was when she sees her sister's powers again. Like, of course she was shocked in the moment, but she was also kind of like, oh, it makes sense. Okay.
2: Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh, this is okay. So, um, Elsa's powers, I mean, and and the whole concept of concealing and not feeling what Natalie's saying is, is absolutely right. You know, people have speculated that Elsa, is um, is gay and the, it definitely is something that I think resonates with with those in the LGBTQ community that this is something um, they live through, this idea of hiding who you truly are um, out of love, but really the bigger motivation is, is fear. Um, right. This goes for anything where we feel like we can't fully be who we are. Um, when fear is the driving motivator, like that's not, um, that's not a a good space to be. Um, so, you know, thinking of, of Elsa's powers and kind of what they represent. I mean, it's, it's kind of the, the good and the bad of anything. Um, the bad side of, of her powers would be that she can create things that are cold. Um, icicles and abominable snowmen and, and things that are, are like kind of holding her in this ice castle that keeps her sheltered from the outside world. Or she can create snowflakes and snowmen and they can go sledding. And so it's kind of this um, juxtaposition where when you have um, something about you, it can be used for good or be used for bad. And, and she's learning that. She's trying to figure out how to not suppress it but then not use it in a way that's bad, but actually use it from a place of, of love. And um, so I think it's just so fascinating to see that unfold. And and I don't think that Anna doesn't care about her powers. I think she does care about them. Um, she loves her immensely, and she's so desperate for love that she's willing to, um, accept anything that resembles love, including Hans, you know, just uh, meeting him and immediately getting engaged. So she's just so eager for, um, for love. And I think that when we look at what um, Elsa's powers kind of represent and look at what, how they affect Anna, we see this um, desire for love but really what's motivating them initially is fear. So Anna's fearful that she's not going to find love and Elsa is fearful of who she really is.
0: Yeah. Um, we, we have spent a lot of time talking about love already in yeah. this podcast because I mean, that's, that's a huge theme um, throughout these movies um, and how different people define love and kind of asking what is love really um and so you know acknowledging that we've already talked a bit about it um one of the questions i had was uh just many movies address love in one way or another um how do you feel frozen did in addressing this topic um and i'll I'll throw that to you first natalie
1: i think it did great i think uh the love shown between the two sisters is is wonderful i love that that was the the primary showcase of love as opposed to romantic love which was there Uh, but i think they did great
0: yeah um i feel like um one of the things that we see kind of going back to last question with elsa's power um is things are done best in relationship so you know whenever people are isolated, you know, or as the trolls say, when people are mad or scared or stressed, um, (laughs) that people kind of act out in one way or another. um, Whether that's Elsa isolating or Anna, you know, seeking affection and attention wherever she can get it. Um, You know, but then I think, you know, one of the cutest ways that Elsa's powers are demonstrated are building a snowman with her sister. And, you know, just that there's something about being fully you in a truly loving relationship um, that's depicted as a good. Um, yeah. Uh, Sandra, do you have any, th- any thoughts on just how Frozen did depicting love?
2: Oh, you know, I just want to add what you were talking about. You were quoting the trolls and how they said, you know, the thing about being mad or scared or stressed. So they say people make bad decisions when they're mad or scared or stressed, but throw a little love their way and you'll bring out their best. And I thought, man, that's such a like awesome nugget right there mm-hmm. of – helping people express empathy when someone's in that space of being mad, stressed, or scared. And I don't know if I have heard that message um, kind of so overt, you know, but it, but it was in that, in, I think it was the song where um, they were singing it. But, um, it is. But, yeah, it's just, I, I thought that was such a good um, way to talk about love Um, again, it's not amorous, but it's talking about, Hey, like if somebody's having a bad day, um, throw some love their way and you will help them Mm. be better. You'll bring out the best in them. Like that's really such a wonderful message. And I think of like little kids getting that message and going, okay, like maybe their siblings being, you know, a pain to them, but maybe it, maybe it helped little kids even to understand that they can, they can help someone out by just throwing some love their way.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that's a very underrated song in that movie. It is. But but that those concepts are put to song, you know, so that that can get stuck in your head, not just an idea that's talked about or something like that, is also important. Um, Daryl, any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think they do a good job, too. I will say... um, uh, I would. I still really love what Moana does. I love the way that Moana ends by literally defeating the villain with love. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. you got me I there, think dude. That's really cool. But <laughs> I do think Frozen does a great job. I think Frozen, um, you know, the sacrificial love in the movie is just front and center the whole time. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll let my boys get that message pounded into their head anytime. So, yeah, <laughs> I think it's yeah. great. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I feel like the clearest act of love in Frozen is Anna sacrificing herself to save Elsa. It's a powerful moment and it's still fascinating to me that Disney had her come back to life. Um, Other movies have also played with the idea of death and resurrection like Neo in the Matrix or Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings or even Flynn Rider in Tangled. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What is it about this concept that is so powerful? Uh, and Sandra, I'll I'll start with you.
2: Oh, this is such a good question. Okay, so, you know, here's where my perspective absolutely is going to influence my answer, and so from a Christian perspective, when we think of sacrificial love, we think of Christ's sacrifice for us, you know, and we talk about the passion of Christ um, and really what that means when we use that word passion. It means to suffer, so when, when we're talking about something or someone that who are willing to suffer for, like that is, um, that is passion in action, and that is, um, and that is love, like a, a love so deep that mm-hmm. you're willing to suffer. Um, so when we think about someone we love, we say that we have a passion for them because we're willing to suffer for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we we might not use that word for anything outside of a romantic, of a romantic relationship, but really passion in the sense of being willing to suffer that goes beyond amorous love. It goes to the, the love we have for our children, for our friends, our family, even kind of in the broader sense, our communities in the world. So right now we're expressing that love. When we think about what's happening in the world with this coronavirus pandemic, you know, we are mm. sacrificing, we are suffering um, for those who are at risk, you know, and, um, we're willing to do that. That is an expression of love. And like in a, in a joking way, I've been thinking about like people self-isolating by choice, um, to help those who are at risk when they are not at risk. Mm. Um, that to me, um, personally is very, um, like I appreciate that very much. Because I'm immunocompromised, and so I was joking when, like, things started um, kind of unfolding. I said, "I'm I'm just an immunocompromised girl standing in front of the world, asking it to love me," you know. And it's uh-huh. kind of like Notting this, Hill classic, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but it's that idea of like, "Hey, will you love me by doing mm. this by sacrificing?" Mm. And um, and you know that's something that for Christians that resonates, but but just for the a general sense, if someone isn't a Christian, that we still want and appreciate and are humbled by that sort of love where someone is willing to sacrifice for us. And so yeah. those stories that convey that are very meaningful to us, even if we don't necessarily point to a Christian faith, we point to something that um, that is, uh, it's just meaningful to us to have mm someone love us to the point of being willing to sacrifice. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a lot of feelings
2: about that.
1: That was a yeah. really good answer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh,
0: there, you know, I come from a, a similar background. And so, you know, there was a, a Bible verse that came to my mind that greater love has no one than he who lay down his life for a friend. And yeah. that's just like, if we're, if frozen is saying, you know, the act of true love in this movie is a sister sacrificing herself for her sister. You know, that's just, it's just an incredible depiction. And then, you know, another thing that we could just talk about forever is there's a different verse that says perfect love cast out fear. Yes. Um, and there's just like this, you know, parallel relationship throughout that movie of love and fear. Oh yeah. So, yeah. completely. This, these, these movies, man. I love them. Prink. Um but uh, Darryl, uh any thoughts on this question?
3: Well, man, what is there that Sandra didn't already say? I'm <laughs> oh,
2: sorry. <laughs> uh, I just have a lot of feelings, guys. Well,
3: but, but they're great. You nailed it. Um, I, I guess the one thing I would add is I think um, you see a lot of a lot of movies with big sacrifices like this. Um, and they're very moving. They're very moving, and it's awesome to see that type of sacrifice. It's also really cool to see the sacrifice rewarded, you know. And it's mm-hmm. cool to see that Anna was willing to die to save her sister, and she did. Um, but you know what? She didn't have to. She got to live on, and she got to have more time with her sister. And so, it's cool to see. A happy ending in the midst of a painful sacrifice you kind of get both ends of the spectrum you know
0: yeah 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 there were definitely consequences for her action both good and bad but then yeah the the reward for them absolutely Um, Natalie anything you wanted to add
1: yeah the last thing I would add is What that sacrifice means and what's powerful about it is it means a second chance. And now the sisters, after years of spending so much time apart and so much pain in the miscommunication of their lives, they get a second chance. They get to live their lives as loving sisters and move forward to the next journeys of their lives together.
0: And then we got to see it last year in the theaters and yeah! we're going to jump to Frozen 2 now. But actually, before we jump to Frozen 2, um, did you guys see the uh, short Frozen film, Olaf's Frozen Adventure? Yes. yes. Okay. So I feel like it had the misfortune of being the short film in front of Coco and it got like some pretty bad responses because of that. But so, it's, I don't know if you've seen it since then, but it's a great little 22 minute movie.
1: <laughs> so, um, I was one that responded to it badly because I'm of Mexican American heritage mm. and so Coco was something I was anticipating for so yeah. long that uh to see Disney take my culture and to see it on the big screen, like I wanted mm. it so bad and I was still made to wait another 22 minutes before seeing it um and this is coming from someone who loves frozen too but i was a little (laughs) grumpy at frozen uh but i have since gone back and rewatched it and it is a wonderfully touching movie that just adds it adds a great element to it like right in between these two
0: yes um and it kind of like all of these movies they go back to the past to some extent yeah but just showing um you know, what really matters is what we're talking about. Love, relationships, uh, friendships, and family. Um, So going into Frozen 2, um, the Northoldra and their relationship with Arendelle are explored a little bit in Frozen 2. Uh, This begins to address things like um, institutional racism where Anna has to face a choice that her grandfather made, not even something that she made a mistake on. How do you feel the movie handled that relationship and that topic? And uh, what are thoughts that you have about this situation? And uh, Sandra, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah, um, you know, it it was uh, when that reveal happens where they find out that um, the dam wasn't a gift, but a trick, really. Mm. Um, I mean, it's something that we're more and more aware of that whoever wins, they rewrite history to show mm. themselves as being kind mm. or doing the just thing, and that's just what's going to happen, unfortunately, um, with history. You know, so it it you know makes makes one think of that of like, okay, here is is history that you know it was taught to them that this was a kindness, but it really wasn't. Mm. Um, they took advantage of the forest powers and. Um, you know, then this mist locked everyone out. And, um, then you have these two sisters who are, um, two parts, or, you know, they're, they're one, but representing two parts, you know, from their mom and, and dad's side. Um, I, I just think it's, it's nice to see that that was kind of part of the story is showing that history as we learn it isn't always accurate and to be willing to kind of understand and hear from the other people and um, hear their story and hear what their truth is and then you kind of explore them together and and be willing to face the, um, I don't want to say shame because that isn't um, a productive space to be in, but to to be able to face the, the truth of, Hey, this is an ugly part of history, but here's what we can do to change it. And they do that, you know, and, and that's part of the story is doing the next right thing. They yep. do the next right thing to repair something that was, was bad, you know, mm-hmm. and, but there's a, a willingness to do that instead of an apathy or instead of a saying, well, I wasn't part of that, so I'm not doing anything to adjust or to fix, or redeem it I'm just going to say I guess that was what happened so it was nice to see like actually working through a tainted history and then bringing it to a better place
0: yeah um, even before we started recording we were talking about kind of thinking about truth and how uh, the story geeks our, our sign-off phrase is to always seek the truth and so it was neat to see these characters doing a similar thing, like living in truth, living in reality, uh, even when it's inconvenient um, or uncomfortable um, and hard. Um, So Daryl, any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's all great. I like, um, I really enjoy that progression because, you know, in the first movie, you see Anna and Elsa going through their personal journeys. But when you look at their lives, they're very sheltered you know they've lived in that castle mm-hmm. their whole lives and while their own journey is compelling it almost feels like they have no idea what the rest of the world is like you know so when you get into the second film and they start to see the nuance of life they start to see that things aren't always what they seem they see that that people make bad choices including people that they probably held in very high regard and you know they probably thought that they're their parents and their grandparents would never make bad choices. And, um, it's cool to see them sort of thrust into that reality and the struggle that comes with it and to see how they come out of it on the other end.
0: Mm. Uh, Natalie, what, what are you thinking about on this topic?
1: Yeah, this, it amazed me when I was watching it, that I was watching this plot element be used in a children's film. And I like, I, I was actually just writing something about this in my uh, one of my classes. I'm taking a humanities class right now in how it wasn't until I was in college level that I actually comprehended how bad slavery was in United States history. Like I grew up knowing that it was a part of our history, but it was never taught to me to comprehend how horrendous of an act something like slavery is. And it wasn't a, like until the last few years of my life that I really understood how institutionalized racism is in so many societies, including ours, to see a narrative in children's story that has them questioning, you know, their heroes, and sometimes their heroes can be their families. And to realize that sometimes our heroes they probably did bad things. Maybe they weren't heroes, as uh, history has painted them. I was really I, I was really thrilled to see that. Um, because in so much of my own upbringing and education, when it comes to history, these things aren't taught to us. Uh, Sandra hit the nail right on the mark. Uh, the winners are the ones who write the history book. And so rarely are we given a window to the other side of that story. So it, it was it was really amazing to see yeah. this be told. I, I just really liked it, and I, I hope it can gives again the next generation who is also gonna not only learn how to be in a uh, healthy relationship to question Mm. uh historical origins to see like to question the wrong and the rights and how it came about
0: Mm. um and with topics like this i I think disney's been putting out some pretty incredible uh content recently um uh, especially just advice on how to live well. Um, the live action Cinderella invited <laughs> uh, viewers to have courage and be kind. Um, yes. And in Frozen 2, Elsa calls us to show ourselves and Anna encourages us to do the next right thing. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, uh, Daryl, was there any kind of life lesson either you know, for you or for your sons um, that you walked away from Frozen 2 thinking about?
3: Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I think it's similar to what I said in the last question, just the idea of coming face to face with the nuance and the gray areas that exist in life and, you know, coming to learn that <clears throat> things are harder and uglier than you think and there's more injustice and more pain out there than you want to believe there is. But when you come face to that, you still try to do the right thing, you know? Mm you still try to be who you are to love people and to do what benefits other people and not just what's easy.
0: Mm. Uh, Natalie what did you walk away thinking about?
1: Oh so many things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just re-watching Frozen 2 actually earlier today right before we recorded this and um, just Olaf's his, like, sense of mortality in the second film was <laughs> such a h- hilarious driving force of comedy. <laughs> yeah. Um. I just loved it so much. And his whole song of this will all make sense when I am older. I can't help but feel like that, even right now to me, that is resonating with the current circumstances that are happening in the world. Yeah. Just... As an adult, I'm like looking at myself and I'm thinking about how kids look at me like, oh, she's a grown up and I feel nothing like a grown up, even I'm still trying to figure out when Mm. all of this will make sense. Mm. Um, So I thought that was a great takeaway that almost nowhere in time will things make perfect sense. Um, But of course, I I, I was really moved by uh, being pushed to be courageous uh, and going into the unknown. Mm. this film kind of came out at a point in my life where I was questioning some things in terms of career, in terms of what's next. And it came to a point where I realized I was afraid of taking the next step. So it's it's all up to me to take that step further into the unknown. And um, that's like the only way I can move out of a stagnant place. That's how we can all move on is stepping into that unknown.
2: Oh, man. All right. So for me, um, really, the being in the space of grief um, mm-hmm. and uh, incredibly relatable for me. So Anna's dealing with the loss of Elsa, which I'm dealing with the loss of my sister. And um, so grief will always, I think, resonate deeply with me. But so many of us have lost people. So I'm not alone mm-hmm. in that, you know, and and there's, there's a bit of a comfort in knowing that I'm not alone in my grief, um, but in rewatching Frozen Two and thinking about what we're going through right now with this pandemic, um, a lot of us are grieving because we've lost something. If it's not a person, then we've lost, you know, graduations or jobs or financial stability. Um, so much, you know, we we've lost, and so I think right now it's a very confusing time, and it's scary and overwhelming. Um, but we must go on. And we see Anna do that and she's still like grieving. She's still crying, but, but in her tears and in her, her sadness, she's telling herself that she must go on. And so she does the next right thing, the next right thing in front of us. So we don't have to even see beyond that next thing, but the thing in our immediate, like right in front of us, that is the thing that we focus on, not anything Mm -hmm. beyond that, but just the next right thing. So maybe the next right thing is, you know what, taking a shower today. That is the right thing for me to do. And that's Mm -hmm. all I'm going to focus on right now. Or, you know, the next right thing is stop eating so many carbs. I mean, (laughs) I'm not, I'm projecting, but, uh, but you know, (laughs) but, but it can be as simple as that. Like, what is the next right thing? Um, and so yeah, when I first watched the movie, but then also now rewatching it, um, that was the takeaway for me: is, is doing the next right thing.
0: Yeah. In um, when Disney announced that Frozen Two was being released really early on Disney Plus, I thought that was just really cool and a you know neat diversion um, and a, a good gift for you know the families that will now have kids at home and everything. Oh yeah. But um, as I rewatched it, I, I felt like it was a very poignant, powerful movie just for this period of time. Um, I agree. And yeah, if kids uh, today can, again, you know, even in a song, so it's something that can possibly get stuck in their head, be thinking about doing the next right thing when they don't know what the future holds, when nothing feels like there's going to be any hope anymore. Just do, take the next step, do the next right thing. And just how incredibly resilient that population of children could be that grow up thinking about that um it's pretty amazing um uh we were talking about olaf a little bit and his uh sense of mortality and everything uh he observed going into the enchanted forest uh that there was a lot of transformation going to happen to them. And, you know, obviously in over the two movies, a lot of transformation did take place. Um, Of the main characters in Frozen, which character arc did you either relate to the most um, or think was the strongest? Um, And I'll start with Natalie on this one.
1: Gosh. um, I think... it's hard to pick between the two sisters. I don't think anyone is stronger than the other and rather that they are just so strong individually in completely different ways. Yeah. Um. Just Elsa spent the two movies um, trying to figure out her place in the world and, you know, being brave enough to step into that unknown. But, you know, she did find herself and I show yourself. not only is it just a stunningly, beautifully animated sequence, (laughs) just her seeking who is calling her, who is giving her this destiny. And I just like that lyric, like you are the one you've been waiting for all of your Mm. life. Like it's her, it's up to her to take her life and be herself and how she wants to be. Mm. Uh, But what I loved about Anna's story is she showed so much strength and growth without needing magic. Um, It was just like her pure human instinct and her instincts based on love and doing that next right thing. She just made those calls, those really hard calls to, you know, break the dam, to uh, make things right. Even when she felt she didn't know what to do, you could tell she's improvising everything, but she's doing everything based on her instinct of what is that next right thing. And... You know, at the end of the film, we see her as queen, and even that kind of came to me as a shock. I didn't think I would see Queen Anna, but that was so cool to see this character that I think was always uh, painted to be. You know, the they had the heir, which is Elsa, and the spare, <laughs> who is Anna. Uh, she isn't the spare. She's she's there to help Arendelle, and she's the queen at the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. Daryl,
3: uh, what was the story arc that you appreciated the most? Um, well, first of all, before I answer that, um, you're talking about Olaf. Uh, there are probably at least one instance every day, sometimes more, where my family will be sitting down at a meal and my seven year old son will say something weird and we'll kind of look at him and go, What? And his response is, "Uh, I'm sorry. Maturity is making me poetic.
2: <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> That's
3: adorable. So I just, I had to share that at some point. Oh, um, got it. But, um, I, you know, I like Anna's journey the best. Um, I feel like Anna is sort of our window into the story. You know, she's sort of the same perspective as the audience in a lot of ways because we see her reacting to the craziness around her and how she still loves people, but also how sometimes she's just like, what the heck is going on? Why is everybody acting so weird? And um, <laughs> I like the voice of reason that she is. And especially in the second mm-hmm. movie, I just, I love the journey that she went on and sort of the adventurous nature of where she ended up. So.
2: I'm totally cheating. I'm going to pick two. I'm going to pick Anna and Olaf. Um, and here's why. So Anna, I mean, I kind of already touched on the fact that, that grief is a big part of well, sisterhood and then grief and then kind of getting that sisterhood back. Um, that is, you know, a big reason why. So I've already kind of explained that. Um, I, I think the part, the scene that got me the most is when she thinks that she's lost Elsa and then like her song um, and saying, I've seen dark before, but not like this. You know, this is cold, this is empty, this is numb. It's something like I've never, um, or the, the life I knew is over. Um, it's so like, even hello darkness, you know, I'm ready to succumb. Super emo, right? Um, but then she says, you know, you are lost, but hope is, uh, and hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. So like that, those lyrics right there to me were so powerful, not just for me, but I think for, for anyone who feels like, whatever it is they're going through. And it's not even like a comparison of, this is more tragic than the other. It's just whatever we feel is, is that darkness, you know? Um, being able to kind of pick ourselves up and, and um, motivate ourselves to do the next right thing, that, that to me was like the nail on the head of why I just love Anna. Um, and Olaf, I have to confess, when I saw the trailer for Frozen, um, the first one I thought, okay, this snowman, I hope he's not like Mater cause confession. I really cannot stand Mater and I didn't want him to be a Mater. Hate major. I know. <laughs> and I thought he was going to be, cause I'm like, why is there this random snowman, like a Christmassy thing in this story about, to, so I was like confused, but whatever, um, and I loved him in both of the movies. And what I love is his journey. We see that he, he is like the personification in the first film of ignorance is bliss. You know, he's just talking about in summer, you know, and it's like, wait, well, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know, bro. Like you're going to melt. Right. But he's just completely blissful in that. And then we see the contrast that. He He's like going through this existential crisis, but then he's like, no, but everything's fine, you know, and this is normal. This is fine. Um, the kind of the random things that he says gives you insight into like the, the, the deep, like contemplations that he's grappling with. Like do you ever worry that nothing is permanent or, you know, um, the thing about advancing technologies being both our savior and our doom. Like I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and it's just like this, you see this um, desire for him, that like he wants to learn. And so he's spewing these random facts and these you know things he's grappling with, um, but it, he still ultimately has like a hopeful optimism. So he's learning, He's things that he thought he knew, they're getting challenged and he's like, I don't really get it, but it'll all make sense when I'm older. So he's still, even in that space of learning and being challenged, he's optimistic. So I, I love that about him. And then his whole like recapping what happened in Frozen and then what happened in Frozen 2. Yes. That was so <laughs> so meta. It's one
1: of the best animated sequences ever. <laughs> Completely.
0: And then uh, just his searching for Samantha just gets me. Samantha. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, yeah, I, like you guys, I put Anna. Um, I, one of the first things we know about her is she's pretty apologetic just even for existing. You know, when she meets Hans, she's kind of saying, you know, it's just me. Um, she has no real expectation of how people should treat her or anything like that. And goes through a lot in those two movies, um, and ends up being queen. And I feel like she will make a great, great queen by the end of the second movie. Uh, which would not have been the case, you know, in the first movie. So I mm-hmm. love 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 her story arc. Um well, now would normally be the time that we'd go to some questions uh from Facebook, uh but we can't do that right now. But when I was telling my brother I was going to do this podcast, he had a question. So we do have a question from a oh. listener in that sense. <laughs> nice. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, exactly. Uh he uh was thinking about there are a number of promises or really strong statements that are made in the movie uh, about things that people do not have real power over um like whether the flag of arendelle will always fly mm. or if elsa is able to you know free the enchanted forest and save arendelle um elsa saying that she promises she'll stay with anna you know there's a number of promises that are made um, and he was just kind of wondering what the virtue is of making promises like that it, when it's about things that you really don't have control over. So uh, I'll throw that to whoever has a thought about that. Holy
1: smokes. <laughs> I, I know that's, that's a good question. But I remember when I was watching the movie for the first time when I was in theaters... Uh, when Elsa does sing that lyric, I promise you the flag of do always fly. I'm like, Ugh, is there something <laughs> a gut instinct? Immediately in was like, something tells me that yeah. that's not going to be, a, that, that, that may have something to do with my sto- the story being told today.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, the trolls kind of counter that by saying, you know, when no one can see the future, you know, dot, 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 and it's the, the do the next right thing. Um, mm. So I don't know, but I, I think just the, the idea of giving a promise that you can't necessarily fulfill. I mean, I don't know if we're like signing up to do that, but in, in a sense, we, we have a, a hope that things that we are working toward and committed to, that those will come to fruition. So in a sense, like we're kind of promising when we hope we promise. Um, so when Elsa promises to stay with, with Anna, she hopes that, and is I think working toward that, but things shift, you know. So I don't know yeah. if it's like a a bad thing.
0: Yeah, just interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's
1: interesting. Yeah, because yeah. you want to. Elsa really does want to keep her people safe. She does want to uh, free the Enchanted Forest. She does want to be. But like, yeah, it's those are such lofty promises.
3: Yeah, it sort of struck me as just being like trying to heighten the adventure side of it, you know. Like mm. it almost seemed a little out of place when I when I watched it. I, you know, she said that, and I'm like, "All right, you're not Aragorn, you're not William Wallace, <laughs> you know, like, like, chill out." <laughs> so. Um.
0: So, I, uh, I mean, there's a lot to take in between the two movies. So I'm just curious if you guys have any closing thoughts uh, or anything that you know, I didn't prompt you to say that you're thinking about.
2: I do. And it's definitely that as soon as the lockdown is over, I think we should all just sing for the first time in forever and just be (laughs) so excited to see people and to have people over and have a ball and like a literal ball, you know, just like gowns and stuff. I don't know. I, when I watched it, I'm like, Oh, that's how I feel because I'm an extrovert in an introverted forced introverted life right now. And, yeah. Oh, yes.
1: I thought you were going to say the first thing we need to do was go to Disneyland, which is almost the same yes. thing. But...
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, that too. have Any
0: closing thoughts?
3: No. I don't. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Natalie, (laughs) last but absolutely not least. Um, I adore these movies so much. I think they were released uh, way too late in my life because I would have loved to have been a little girl running around pretending to be an ice queen like Elsa.
0: Mm. Awesome. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you all about this. Um, And uh, Sandra, what was our last podcast? It was on Universal Monsters, right?
2: I mean, maybe, yeah. And I was on that one, too. Because I am large, I contain multitudes. (laughs) But I
0: I just love the diversity of stories that we talk about. (laughs) Because, you know, again, there is diversity in storytelling. And uh, different stories mean different things to so many people. So hopefully uh, this will be something that will allow uh, some parents to talk to their kids about, you know, Uh, A movie that could easily be just tossed aside as, you know, a princess movie or a cartoon um, when I really think there are some incredible things that uh, we can learn for our lives.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Agreed.
3: Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess that's it for today's show, isn't it?
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
3: (laughs) No one's answering that. Um, Justin, thanks for hosting, man. Great job. And uh, Sandra and Natalie, thank you guys for joining us as well. Um, you Yeah, absolutely. Coming up next week on the show, we're going to dig into antiheroes. So we've been talking about some pretty clear heroes and villains in this one. We're going to get all gray about it next week and get into the weeds. So that should be cool. <laughs> so, you know, don't miss that or any of our upcoming shows. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. And remember, you can join the Story Geese Club for free. As Justin said, the link to the club is in the show notes. And if you want to join as a VIP member, we will prioritize your questions and comments here on the live show. This is not a live show, but once we're doing live shows again, we will do that. And higher tier members will get to join us as guests. So you can learn more about that at thestorygeeks.com. So as we alluded to earlier in the show, thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and...
2: Always seek Always seek the truth.
3: Always seek the truth. There it is special thanks to all the members of the story geeks club and here are some of those awesome people who support us at five dollars a month more adam vargas bob Sherfield, justin weaver wow way to go justin mary baldwin <laughs> wade johnson jim baldwin monty thigpen nick prokop and kimberly lujo we appreciate all you guys so much as well as all of the other members of the story geeks club that we didn't name If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club and signing up for our VIP tiers, you can find all of that at thestorygeeks.com.